changed. You move. Well, it's like the whole house is like she goes in this alternate dimension thing. <laughs> little girl, like the, we're yeah. here. Something about the TV. You move the gravestone, but you didn't move the bodies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I don't like. Any, this should be the show. I don't like any movies that are scary. It's not. I mean, it's there's a. I mean, there's a part where like a guy peels his own face off, but like other than that, well, that's true. The really, Raiders of the Lost Ark, which exactly. I have seen. He well, he doesn't like peel it. His face melts. It melts and those are yeah. Nazis, so they don't yeah. count. No, they count. They're people. Nazis are people, too. I mean, I guess the French archaeologist was like a Nazi. He wasn't a sympathizer. He just really wanted to get some loot, you know? He was a collaborator. Yeah, a Nazi collaborator. <laughs> yeah. There's also a really creepy clown in Poltergeist that's terrifying. Yeah, see, and, this and is a, why I don't see those a tree movies. that, like, tries to eat a little boy. That's a wrap. I think we're done with Great. today's Thanks podcast. for listening, everybody. <laughs> um, we'll see you in six more months. <laughs>
has, for on behalf of House Democrats, guided them masterfully, shall we say? Yeah. Uh, she, she is absolutely playing three-dimensional chess while Republicans are playing checkers. Like, it's not even close. And right. I think that this, the waiting until they had something tangible and um, easy to iterate to the American public, like the Ukraine phone call, aside from the Mueller report, like that's... The, the Mueller report's a harder, more nuanced argument to make, although there's absolutely something there. Ukraine call, like, look, here's what he did. It's bad. I can say it in a sentence. Everybody agrees it's bad. That was great. And then for her to turn around and call the White House's bluff and say, hey, uh, you, you're not going to cooperate unless we open up an inquiry. We just officially opened up an inquiry. Here we go. Let's play ball. Was, I thought, perfect. Yeah. And... So we, we, we're we not usually in the business of predicting what's going to happen, but we think... Uh, well, we're bad at it. We're yeah. still going to do it. I mean, we're, we're two white men in America. Like, you're going to get our opinion on it, right? <laughs> and so, uh, so li- very likely that the uh, House Democrats are going to vote to impeach, very likely that the Senate is not going to convict and remove... Sorry to spoil the ending of how this is likely to turn out, but we'll talk about some of the politics behind that and why we think that's that's the case. But is that the general idea? Yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, and I, I want to talk a little bit about some of the, the frames that are being used here, but we can maybe start talking about what we think is going to happen and, and where things go from here. The impeachment inquiry vote that happened earlier this week to open up an official inquiry and, and laid out what that process would look like. Um, is was first of all, I, mean, I don't want to get into like the legal discussion, but but pretty much all, every legal person out there agrees that what Democrats were doing before was 100% constitutional, 100% legal. The argument from the White House that it was an illegitimate process. This whole, I can't like get over how dumb the Republican response to this has been that like you're conducting an illegal investigation and you're innocent until proven guilty and all this like tr- uh, trial without representation, all this crap is like, it's that's like asking the police to like open up every private investigation they have into a criminal and like make it public for everybody to see. It's ridiculous. I hate it. Anyway, um, they're basically following similarly what happened um, in the Clinton um, scandal to sort of make it seem more legitimate, even though it is. Um, that vote, though, was strictly on party lines. And I think what Nancy Pelosi is worried about is that this everything's going to break along party lines. It's going to look exactly like a partisan endeavor, um, which is what the Clinton scandal was, this Clinton impeachment trial was. Um, and that's just going to give the White House more fodder moving forward during the trial to talk about how this is strictly partisan. So do you think things are going to change, that those roll call votes are going to change from the inquiry vote to the actual vote on articles of impeachment? It's hard to understand how you would be a Republican who would vote against the inquiry, but then vote to impeach, right? So that suggests that, no, I don't think things are going to change, that that it's hard to imagine Republicans changing their vote. Um, that said, there's two reasons to think it could. One is um, that just I've seen reporting generally of like, well, when you talk to House Republicans privately, there are a few who say, well, I just didn't want to run out of the barn just yet, but I might vote to impeach. That's hard to believe. Is that a phrase, run out of the barn? Like, I didn't want to run out of the barn too early. I didn't want to run out of the barn before the hoedown started. Am I right, everybody? Yeah, that's that's a saying. Okay. It's from New York. Oh, yeah, because you know a lot about barns. <laughs> right. Uh, the other reason to think that Repub- some Republicans could change their mind is they're going to start holding some public hearings, 
and also releasing transcripts of some of the private depositions. And maybe there's something in all of that, some aha moment that really becomes too much for at least some number of House Republicans to, you know, not yeah, be a part of. I agree. I, th- I think that, I mean, I think that's the hope of Nancy Pelosi and House Democrats is that we're going to make this public. We're going to basically we're going to put this in the court of public opinion because already um, the numbers about impeachment and like should the president be removed nationwide in the aggregate are changing within self-identified Republicans are actually getting stronger in favor of the president. But in terms of independents and Democrats, it's like growing. The numbers are growing pretty steadily in favor of impeachment and possibly removing from office. So I think the hope is to to shift that or the more public hearings we have, the more testimony we have, the more witnesses that are that are compelled to, to testify or do so willingly. We're going to have like bombshell after bombshell and, and Republicans are going to have to break eventually because the evidence is going to be so large. Speaking of which, there's now there's like more and more uh, court decisions that are just like aiding Democrats that are like making sort of everything's lining up for them with the releasing of the redacted portions of the Mueller report, um, more information on like the transcripts and everything with new testimony that like does not line up at all with the version the White House is giving. I, I think the hope is that it's going to be enough to at least bring some Republicans over. But I honestly, I have no, the current state of things, I don't know what it would take for House, for any House Republicans to vote yes on impeachment. Yeah, I mean, I guess in, in theory, the idea of why are Republicans all holding steady is, you know, well, maybe some Republicans are worried about they would vote for impeachment and then get primaried by some Trumpy Republican running to their right or whatever that area of the ideological spectrum would be. And so that's why they don't vote when they know that that this is clearly an impeachable set of impeachable offenses. I don't know. It's equally clear, we should say, though, that Democrats, House Democrats, are also not going to suddenly vote to not impeach. They they have to vote to impeach. They're on that trajectory point. now. He's yeah. he's gonna. I, I'm, I'm confident he's going to be impeached. He has to be because it would it would electrify the Democratic base against incumbent Democrats right, if I they didn't. At this I mean, point. the two the two Democrats that. Excuse me. Uh, the two Democrats that voted against impeachment were uh, the dude from New Jersey, Jeff Andrew, which is a very Trumpy district, and where's the other place? Some other dude. Some other dude I in forget. a very Trumpy yeah. f- dudes. Am I right? Yeah. God, we gotta we gotta get our shit together, fellow white men. We are just terrible. We're bad for this country. Or just get more women in there. Uh, that would help. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh. So yeah, I agree that the Democrats are on this trajectory. The hope is that some Republicans are going to come come away from this. I I think though, from the leadership standpoint, so Kevin McCarthy has sort of been the one of the, the standard bearer for these really dumb arguments about like uh, undoing the election results of 2016. I, I this argument infuriates me, and it's so incredibly stupid. And that the leader of the Republican Party in the House is saying these things that are false that are a complete like completely misconstrue the United States Constitution not only misinterpret it but just like a complete lack of knowledge of these things and are flat out lying to the American public about how this process is working this is the leader of the minority party in the house and it's disgusting and despicable but i think what him and Mitch McConnell are afraid of is that if the president's impeached if the president's then maybe convicted but really just the impeachment process is going to put a black mark on the party heading into 2020 when already 
their hopes of regaining the House and even holding on to the Senate don't look super great right now. Well, their hopes of holding on to the Senate, I think, look okay. I yeah, mean, not great, just the geography of it is good. Yeah, yeah, and you know, but I think for McConnell in particular, the interesting thing to me is, you know, there's going to be a Senate trial. Uh, how, how do people who are vulnerable Senate Republicans, like Cory Gardner, Susan Collins, McSally in Arizona, maybe Tom Tillis, maybe Joni Ernst in Iowa, how do these folks get shielded in some way from casting a vote that maybe they don't want to cast, right? And in a trial, I, I assume there is no way to really shield them from that. They're, they're going to have to cast a vote. And so do you have, you know, maybe a few of those people plus a Mitt Romney vote to convict on one or more articles of impeachment? Um, certainly you're not, you're not going to get to 67, I don't think, on any article, but maybe you get to a majority on, you know, one or more articles. And that, I think, um, you know, is problematic for the Republican Party brand because it's it says, hey, this was not just a party line thing, and this was not a baseless thing. Look, there's bipartisan support for at least one article of impeachment. Right. No, Republicans know they're in trouble, and you're right. Mitch McConnell knows that he's going to put a lot of his members in really difficult positions, um, and he's shown time and time again that the Republican Party is more important to him than his country, um, just given the way that he runs the institution. Um, in the House, especially, just the number of retirements from the Republican Party has been like staggering over the last year, and I think that's a barometer for what they think is going to happen. I mean, the the ranking member of the House Commerce Committee, uh, Walden from Oregon, just retired. Like he's in line to take over the the uh, you know arguably the most powerful policy committee in the House if they take the majority. That tells me that nobody thinks they're taking over the majority. Right. And even John Shimkus, who was the person underneath him who said he was going to retire is now saying, well, maybe I'll come back because Walden retired. But like all that wishy-washy back and forth tells me House Republicans know, like they see the writing on the wall. They're aware of, of sort of what their election results are going to uh, potentially look like um, in terms of gaining the majority. Not great. And, and in the Senate, when the landscape, the electoral landscape, the geography is good for you, the um, you're right that putting these a, a few vulnerable members in bad positions could mean that you lose both chambers, which is bad. And more, I think that if either the impeachment vote or even the trial vote look at least a little bipartisan, that's going to be really, really important for Democrats moving forward. It is. Um, I want to mention one incumbent Democratic senator who also probably would have a tough vote here, and that's Doug Jones from Alabama, who's on the ballot in 2020. Um I mean, he's going to have a tough time no matter what, right? It's Alabama. Right. So do you think that in Al- even in Alabama that Doug Jones sort of, if he votes not to convict, which I honestly find hard to believe. I mean, Doug, Doug Jones is a, an attorney. He was a former U.S. attorney, I think, right? I mean, this is not somebody who's unaware of the general legal landscape surrounding all this stuff. Um yeah, no, and I, I think it depends on a lot on what we find and what's going to happen. That's that individual case is really interesting because, I mean, honestly, if I'm Doug Jones, like I'm sort of assuming I'm not going to get reelected. Like the, the whole reason I got elected in the first place was this crazy thing during a special election with this incredibly awful, just 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 the worst candidate possible running against me. 
and it's Alabama. Um, so I don't know. I, I that's a great that's a great question. I I don't know, but you would, given the character of Jones, you would think it'd be pretty hard to to vote against conviction at, at this point in time. I think Joe Manchin is more likely oh, to vote yeah. against conviction than Doug Jones. Joe Manchin's a dirtbag. Yeah. Yeah. To, absolutely. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> uh, and he's looking at probably running for governor soon, right? So. Um, Although he says he's not running this time around, so he's you know he's staying in the Senate for now. Um, he's not up for re-election for a long time, of course, but but you know. he's he's definitely wor- he's worried about his chops in the state, and so I, he's somebody I absolutely see voting against conviction. So which makes again would look bad for Democrats because here's this bipartisan measure protecting the president, and no matter what happens, right? Because we both agree conviction is super unlikely. No matter what, ha- whatever trajectory we went down ro- the road here, the president was always going to say that he was vindicated at the end of this process. So this argument right. that like, all you're going to do is mobilize his base, that was always going to be the case. And at least now, I think your point you made earlier is that you're going to continue to electrify an already electrified Democratic base. And that just bodes well, uh, bo- does not bode well across the board for Republicans in, in each chamber and for the president. Yeah. Also. Maybe we could wrap up this segment by just last question. What do, what do you think all of this does or doesn't mean a year from now? By the way, a year from today is the 2020 election. Literally a year from wow. today, November 3rd. It's is, my how quickly this election season's going by, yes. isn't it? <laughs> yes, it's one tiny year away. Jeez. Yeah. It's like it's a the blink of an eye. Am right. I right? Yeah. Um, God, I want it to end. Please make it all this craziness stop. Um do you think voters are paying attention to this, the question of impeachment a year from now? I, you see, I, and I think that's, I want to make this point earlier about Mitch McConnell. I think that's part of been his strategy is he came out and said, look, we'll, we'll have a trial. And then he sort of like winked at the camera, like a trial. Am I right? But he said, like, I want to start at Thanksgiving and we'll be wrapped up by Christmas. We're going to just then like three weeks, piece of cake, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. And that tells me that He's trying to get this over with. Like, we know it's going to be a sham trial. It's probably going to be in the same way that the Clinton trial was. And, um, but I think in his mind, he wants to wrap this up as quick as possible so that it's not fresh in voters' minds when we get close to the election. Because you think that he thinks it's a negative for Republicans? I, yeah, I think even if the president is, is vindicated, right, in, in air quotes, if the president's not convicted, impeachment's still going to look bad. And I think given the state of the president's approval rating, I think given the numbers, especially amongst independents, I think is what Republicans are really looking at right now. They want this to be as far removed from the election as possible. And the longer you draw it out, especially in the House, the worse things look. And I think Nancy Pelosi is, first of all, doing her job investigating the president for crimes that he may or may not have committed. And he did commit these crimes, right? A hundred percent. And and she's doing due diligence. I don't think she's like drawing it out on purpose, although that might be sort of part of the strategy. It's also like she's taking her job seriously. And I think that's also infuriating Republicans a little bit, which gets back to our point about just fancy Nancy just just playing the game really, really well. Yeah, she's she's crushing him. Well, I, I can't end a segment better than having your Mitch McConnell impression on tape. Uh, am I right? He says am, stuff like that. Am I right? Yeah. Easy peasy lemon squeezy yeah. is another Mitch McConnellism for sure. Right? Definitely. When yep. he's in private, that's what he says. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about that uh, upcoming presidential leg. It's only one short year away. We're going to talk yeah. about that next. All right. Okay. So we're back. 
Uh, Tyler, uh, another thing that's been happening, it's kind of off the radar for most people, is the presidential election. Beto's gone. Sorry, I'm really happy about (laughs) that. We didn't want to bury the lead, but Beto (laughs) is out. Uh, A whole Uh, bunch of other people are out, too. The field is getting smaller. In fact, a whole bunch of the people that we've regularly made fun of are out, Beto included. And I obviously... That, that, that we're, we're influencers, right? Yeah. That, so all these all these white dudes <laughs> dropping out of the race. Yeah. So let's let's start with with Beto. Beto, uh, should we do an epilogue on the Beto candidacy or? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> have fun blazing up some sick trees, my man. I don't. I don't. I. It's he was trying to like sort of capture this like this flash that he had with the Senate race and, and build on this national attention, and it just he was just never that guy. But also like. Another great example of somebody who is like in it for themselves and in it for everything else that they're going to hopefully maybe get after the fact, right? It was less about winning the presidency and more about building sort of this presence. Um, but I don't know really what he's going to go back and do now because uh, I don't see him running and winning in the Senate for sure. But he oh. seems to say he's not going to run for the Senate. We'll, we'll see if he changes his mind on that. But. He did. He. I. I will say that he grew on me a little bit, especially his whole focus on uh, gun violence. His response and, after the El Paso shooting was was fan, was was laudable. Absolutely, it was great. Yes, yeah. I agree. So okay, so we're but also but, like no more sick skateboarding stunts and wearing yeah. wearing Vans. Um, mm-hmm. Still got a couple people rolling up their sleeves right in public. Right? So as soon as we get Mayor Pete out of there, we can get a little class back in the election. Uh, we're going to come back to Mayor Pete. Uh, he said something interesting uh, just uh, in the news. Um, Tim Ryan's out. Seth Moulton's Tim out. Ryan, what an asshole. Tim Ryan's is just, <laughs> go, go away. Uh, go I don't even know if you're talking about Ryan or Moulton, but uh, they're both. both of them. Tim Ryan, just give, give me a break. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. And honestly, the thing they should both be remembered for is their opposition to Nancy Pelosi as speaker, which is looking really, really yeah. stupid. Tim, right remember now. Tim Ryan said like he was the best choice to be yeah. speaker? Yeah. Jackass. Yeah. Uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, one of the bigger names to be out. Uh, yeah, you know, she early. never she never really caught on, um, which was surprising given you know New York senator. Um, she's not super well known. Um, kind of a kind of a centrist, but you know, probably somewhere in between, like a Elizabeth Warren and a Joe Biden. Just never never really made a connection at all with the voters. Yeah, um, uh, Jay Inslee, who was pretty focused on climate change, never yeah. caught fire. That, but I think that was really his goal. I mean, he's going to go back. Um, uh, and and stay in a state, and that's great. Do whatever uh, he was doing in yeah. that unnamed state, right? Uh, <laughs> he's uh, he's he's. Uh, but I think his whole thing was just more like he was the climate change candidate, right? And I think that he he never saw this as like I'm going to win the nomination. Is more that I want to give more visibility to this issue, which yeah. is great. You could say the voters never warmed up to him. Oh, oh. Ayo. yeah. Uh, and John Hickenlooper, who honestly, to oh, me, man, just so many, the, so the many thing syllables. he brought to the race was syllables. Just right? lots of syllables. More, yeah. More syllables than you can handle. Right. Just, he, he just like, he was a wealth of syllables. Yeah. And I just want to say this again Eisenhower, the only four syllable president. Not as much had. fun to say as Hickenlooper. Yeah. Hickenlooper, there would have been a lot of good puns with Hickenlooper. Uh, yeah. So it's, and we're, we're nearing the cutoff for the next debate. Um, so we're potentially going to see more people. Uh, we still got a bunch of people in the race that need to just go away. Marianne Williamson, uh, Andrew Yang, mm. um, 
Sorry, Mayor Pete. I said it. Well, let, let's come. Uh, so let's talk about Mayor Pete. So the, the clearly right now, the top of the field is four people, um, including Biden, Warren, Bernie, and Pete Buttigieg. Yep, who I agree. is running uh, in the top four? Seem pretty close to each other in Iowa right yeah, he's now. He's doing really well in Iowa, especially. Yeah, um, the, the really so, white parts of the country. And and Pete Buttigieg said something interesting. I just saw it on the news. I don't know if you've seen this, that he was being interviewed on this show, The Circus, on Showtime, I think it is. And he said that the race is pretty much going to come down to a two-way race between him and Warren. And I was pretty shocked by that. I suspect people in the Biden campaign were like, what? Really? So... That was a little bold, I thought. Yeah, that sounds more like a like a swaggery kind of thing. Also, just like so, I, I have nothing against Mayor Pete. Like, and also, I need it to stop like saying you Mayor have Pete. Something against Jesus. Like the it's it just just. I think I think ten years from now he's going to be a superstar in the Democratic Party. I think he's going to be a legitimate nominee. He just he's not ready for the big stage. And also, he continues. He is an Aaron Sorkin character. Like full mm. of full of good intentions, zero knowledge about how the actual political process works. Wow, I like that character. I think that's spot on. Um, when he says stuff about like that, we need to depoliticize the Supreme Court, and he has a plan for that. Oh and that God, we need, this drives me batty. He said recently that we need more people like Kennedy on the bench. Like you're you're the Democratic nominee for president. And I kind of understand what you're saying about moderation, which is stupid because that's not how the institution works. This I got a la At least Aaron Sorkin right now. And but also as the Democratic nominee, we you should not be like giving praise to Justice Kennedy because he's done some things that did not look good for liberals. Citizens United. There you go. And Shelby County. Exactly. Those two decisions that he was a part of were disgraceful. They're arguably the most disgraceful decisions by the Supreme Court in the last few decades. Absolutely, yes. And that he could say we need more justices like that is just... I, I don't understand, actually, how it's not disqualifying in a Democratic primary. I agree. Uh, so, yeah. But that he, said, he, he is, he is he's doing well. He's maintained a level of... Um, his polling numbers have have maintained have been steadier than people like Harris, for example, who have had similar levels, but has dipped down quite a bit recently. Um, he is um, look, I just he is like this pleasant looking white man, and I think that a lot of voters who aren't paying a lot of attention right now, um, that's really comforting for them. And there's also a lot of wo- voters who are white men who like find it comforting to vote for a white guy, right? So um, there was a, sort of a, I forgot where the poll was from, but it was one of the polls that looks at. Uh, like Nate Silver retweeted this, but it was looks at like who who's your second preference, and um, like people who support Biden, it goes Biden, Buttigieg, Sanders, and like nobody else's looks like that. It's just like white guy, white guy, Jewish guy, but we think he's white, so we're gonna go with him, right? So it's yeah. it's it's identity politics, just yeah, all the way down. Well, one of the things, obviously, Buttigieg is not doing particularly well among voters of color right now. Uh, yeah, and every time he tries to reach out, it's just a new catastrophe. Yeah, um, he's not doing quite. He's doing well, basically, among well-educated voters and among white voters, and I think also among some young voters, he's doing uh, reasonably well. But yeah, considering um, sort of how much that's broken up, uh, yeah, amongst the various candidates, yeah, yeah. which is also surprising because like the things that he's advocating for are not things like policy positions that the young liberals 
want right. to see happen. That's right. Uh, um, Biden, speaking of age... Uh, Biden... Speaking of things young liberals don't <laughs> want. <laughs> so interestingly, when you look at some of the crosstabs, polls that release crosstabs, uh, Biden is doing unbelievably badly among young voters and very, very well, of course, among older voters. And so I guess that's understandable in a way that he would be doing, you know, better among older, not as well among younger voters. But the difference is staggering. He's literally in low single digits among young voters. Yeah, I mean, that's that's not surprising. The difference is amazing. It's also, I think one thing we have to keep in mind, and it's, this is kind of weird to think about, but I had this a reminder of this when I was uh, with a, a group of friends yesterday um, that I hadn't seen in a long time. Is that sort of like we're following this, and like a lot of people we know are following. It. You get on Twitter, and everybody's like talking about it. A lot of, and if you're listening to this, you're also like probably pretty in tune with what's happening. A lot of voters, even like uh, Democratic uh, primary voters, are not operating on a lot of information right now. So the name recognition thing is still really strong. And I'm guessing that's probably even stronger for older voters who are just like taking as many cognitive shortcuts as they can to get to a point. Yeah. Uh, speaking of cognitive shortcuts, Bernie. So hey. Bernie uh, <laughs> Bernie uh, had a heart attack since we last, last uh, It wasn't a heart attack. It was a... Uh, what they no, it was it? a heart attack. Yeah, but they, his campaign called it like a condition or something Initially, like that. but they later... Dude had a heart... Homie had a heart attack. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. Uh, and he's better now, and we're we at the filibuster would like to extend our uh, best can I just, wishes uh, man, to him. Well, I'm just, for a full just ragging on nominees just uh-huh. for like my own opinion, just like no political science at all. This whole like Bernie's revolution nonsense, like the whole point of my campaign is to shift the focus of the country. And and people, after 2016, people said, you know, he wasn't a great candidate, but he made us he he made Clinton move left and did all this stuff. The reaction after the heart attack, hiding the heart attack, continuing to campaign and say that I want to be a two-term president after having a heart attack and being in your late 70s, this is about Bernie. It has always been about Bernie. Bernie only cares about Bernie. And that's what, it's not about his revolution, everybody. And this signifies it more than anything else. Yeah. And if it was about the revolution and the ideas, guess what? You've you've moved the Democratic Party to the left. You've got a strong candidate who is espousing, you know, Bernie-ish ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I agree 100%. Who else Uh, can we rag on? Well, Give me another white guy. Well, let's talk about the last of the top tier that we haven't talked about, Elizabeth Warren. All right. She came out with some uh, details on how her Medicare for All plan would be paid for. Yeah, de- we can put details in air quotes. I think that's fair. Details uh-huh. are a little light. And um, the little calculator she put up. Um, but it's more detail than Bernie's giving. Bernie's giving no detail on Medicare. No, Medicare fair. Yeah, all. like she came out and said, like, she had a plan. Like, here's my plan. Right? She has a plan for everything, right? Yeah. But, like, here's my plan. It's based on the wealth tax. And they released this calculator that's like supposed to try to get you to. Uh, uh, it, it shows you how much you're going to save, like for an actual like out of pocket expenses. Because the argument that's really hard to make around this idea is that yes, you might pay more in taxes, but you're actually going to save money at the end of the year, and that's a difficult, nuanced argument to make to voters. The calculator doesn't make a lot of sense. So if you've played around with it at all, it it doesn't really add up that much. And and like I personally think that if for Med- for Medicare for all to happen, which I hope it does one day our taxes are going to need to go up. Like that's just, that's how it's going to work. You mean my taxes? Your taxes. Oh. I don't pay taxes. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm sorry. Don't, we need to delete that. No, like our taxes, that's just how it works, right? 
Um, but uh, yeah, she released a plan, right? So we can we'll get out of the policy weeds and get back to. She released a plan that's more than anybody else has done, and that's important. And it's a plan that also, with the wealth tax and everything else, is going going to continue to sort of go towards the left side of the the primary voter spectrum even more so. I, I just I do want to push back a little bit on the idea that our taxes would go up because a big chunk of what she's saying about how her plan would be paid for is is basically saying look all this money that that companies uh, or wherever you work is paying for your health insurance premium would be going into paying for the health care premiums under Medicare for all. So we can call that a tax. We can call it whatever. So taxes in quotes may go up. But you're right. They're, but they're employee, employee or employer based. I agree. I guess my point is that when it comes to all these things that the that Democratic primary voters are saying they want, like free college tuition and Medicare for all, you just you don't get those things unless your taxes go up. And right. you should still want those things because they're good for society. But like this, this is the difficult sort of path you have to tread. And I think she's doing it pretty well. Because she's actually, even if these are pie in the sky plans that are never going to be realized, and that's that's how you that's how you win a presidential election. By the way, is you you promise big things you can't deliver on. Nobody else is even offering um, anything that looks like an answer to these questions. Right. Yeah. And that's that that's a really important point because like she's now getting pilloried for you know oh this is big tax increases and you're cutting defense spending to do this and da 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 it's like okay well she's the only one who's even offering any kind of a framework by which this would this could be done which it won't be that's not how it's going to happen it's also sure. showing me that like she's she's I, the polling numbers obviously look really good for her she's second in most sort of national polls and doing really well in early states she's but She's also viewed by her peers and the media as a legitimate contender now because she's getting these kinds of criticisms. Yes. And and under a lot more scrutiny than she has been before. And I think handling it really well. And the cold open to SNL just last night was all Elizabeth Warren. That's oh. a clear sign you're you're a real player in the race. I want to talk a little bit about some of the people. People still watching SNL? Is that? Yeah. Is yeah. That? Okay. Didn't uh, know. People meaning. You. I, I'm watching. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Um, so. I want to talk about some of the people we haven't talked about in the presidential race. And these, to me, are some of the most interesting people because they're the people on the edge of, are you going to find a path to break out and and be a legitimate contender, or are you going to drop out soon? So this group of people includes Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, Julian Castro, Cory Booker. uh, I don't know who I'm leaving out, but... um, is there a Andrew path? Yang. Is there? Yang it up. No, I've, I've, we dealt with him in the what are you still doing in the race part. Don't leave me yanging, homie. Nice. That's uh, pretty good. That's off the top of my head. Thank yeah. you. I'm here all week. Yeah. He could have used that kind of sloganeering. Um, PowerPoint. PowerPoint. Is, <laughs> is, there, is there any path to the nomination for Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, Cory Booker, I don't think there is one for Julian Castro, so we might. I man, I do want to talk about Castro for a little bit. Like, wh- how is that dude not getting more attention? I don't get it at all. Uh, he's get this is a lot of airtime he's getting right now. This is free. Yeah, media. I just like he's he's a guy with some name recognition. He's got like legitimate policy chops. He's got legitimate political chops. He's he's been he's connected with the Obama administration. He's in that network. He's got a big fund. I, it's he's got all the pieces. Also, he's Latino. He checks a lot of boxes. Yeah. <laughs> and I, well, it's a big part of the Democratic base. Yes, absolutely. And there isn't another candidate in the field. I will say Lin-Manuel Miranda as Julio Castro a week or two ago mm-hmm. on SNL. I saw that yeah. clip. That was that was dynamite. Excellent. That yeah. was fantastic. Um, 
I, I don't I just don't understand how like this person isn't getting more. But, but he's not, and he and he doesn't he doesn't have a chance, right? Okay, so but he Harris, might be a good VP pick. Yes, I agree. Harris Klob it depends who the nominee is, but Harris Klobuchar, Cory no, Booker, I, do I've they been, have a chance? I've been a big Camel uh, fan since the beginning. Um, still a big fan, um, but I, I just. It, we don't know, right? So, like, it's not even friggin' Iowa, New Hampshire yet, right? We're still three, two, two, th- two months away from then. Three months, whatever. I don't know. I can't tell time anymore. Did, I lost an hour last night or gained an hour? I forgot what happened. You gained an hour. I, I fell back. That's yeah. what happened. Um, I, she was looking really strong there for a while. She sort of dipped back down. I mean, I think we're in a situation by the time we get to Iowa, New Hampshire, that somebody could come up surprisingly to, like, third and sort of pull like a comeback kid, Bill Clinton kind of nonsense argument. Like that was in New Hampshire, but yeah. That was in New Hampshire, point. right? Yeah. You know what I mean, like early state. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think she's going to do particularly well in a caucus state like Iowa, but potentially in a like an Australian ballot state. So she's somebody who I think if there's going to be this wild card that kind of moves their way up and then can survive to South Carolina or even Super Tuesday with some of the, some southern states do better. But she thinks she's, I think, her, and she's also laid off a bunch of staff recently. They've reorganized. That's a terrible, terrible uh, story to have in the papers. Did they close down the headquarters in Baltimore? They just uh, got rid of some staff in New Hampshire, of See, all places. So her campaign is on a knife's edge, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm a big fan of hers, too. But when you're when that's the story that you're firing staffers, that's or laying off staffers. But of no the people good. you mentioned, I think that she is, I still feel like she's in the best position to be that kind of surprising person that get, that reaches up to third hmm. in those early states and survives. See, I think Klobuchar might be the one. You've been on Klobuchar's. Yeah, you've been on Team Klobuchar since the beginning. Well, I've also been on Team Kamala. I like both of them a lot, and for different reasons. But Klobuchar, just in terms of momentum, she's on the upward trajectory, right? And she has a lot of endorsements. She actually has more endorsements than anyone of local officials in Iowa. She's been raising a little bit more money. She's got a good social media presence. I, I think she's a great candidate. I like her a lot. I think that she's pragmatic. She is policy wonky. She, um, it, she, she's great. But for all the reasons that I like her, she's not a good campaigner. In the same way that Clinton was not a good campaigner, because she wants to like give these pragmatic answers and like 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 answers that I like that are like, hey, like here, this is a great policy, but here's how it actually might work. And here's something close to it that might work. And here's sort of the foundation of that. That is not a soundbite. And yeah. you don't win, especially primary elections that way. And she's just a little, a little too vanilla. If you're winning the Tyler Hughes primary, you're losing. Yes. Is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know what I want. The argument for Klobuchar as the nominee is if the country is sick of the circus and all of the, you know, insanity surrounding Trump, then vanilla is the answer, right? Just like plain, calm, adult in the room. That's what Amy Klobuchar is. Sure, but I don't see her. I don't see her doing well in the primary because of that. Because yeah. she is the vanilla candidate. I, I like her a lot, and I think with the right candidate, another really good VP pick, depending okay. on who the nominee is. So Cory Booker, this is the one that is most mysterious to me as to how he has not. Gotten... It's not that mysterious because Cory. Speaking of vanilla, Cory Booker is is. I mean, the dudes eat plants. Like not that's all he eats is plants. Like, well, that's you know how you know you know how you know he's a vegan because he mentions it every time he gets a chance to <laughs> talks about it all the time. That's how you know he's actually a vegan. Huh. Well, uh, so, so you think it's because he's boring? 
that he hasn't caught um, fire. He's, I mean, he's boring. Um, and also, um, even though he's like the black male candidate, is somebody that black voters do not identify with or relate to. They, he's not somebody who has connected with the African-American base in the Democratic primary. Um, and that's off-putting to a lot of people. So, um, if we, you know, we're, we're all politics, identity politics, and I'm not sure what brand he's playing, but it's not working at all. Hmm. Okay. So last question on this segment, what we're a year out one, one year from today is the next election. What are the chances that, that Trump wins? Let me start there. What are the chances that Trump wins? Well, I mean, it depends on so many things, right? Like, it depends on what happens with impeachment. It depends on what happens with conviction. It depends on all the stuff we're going to learn over the next couple months through the impeachment process. It depends on whatever insane corrupt thing he can he, that we learn that he does over the next few months. Right. But um, you, you how got, many foreign nations that he's your, been coercing? You got to bet your paycheck on it right now. Does <sighs> Trump? What's the what's the odds that Trump wins? Uh, low. Um, Lower than so 2016, he had what like a like a 35 40 percent chance, according to Nate Silver, right before the like mm-hmm. heading into the election. I'd say it's lower than that, um, mm. but still like a reasonable path to victory, even depending on the candidate, right? We don't even know who his opponent's going to be, but I'd, I, I don't know, 25 30 percent, I would say. Like, I think there's a path, and there's winning those, winning a place like Pennsylvania. Um, by a few hundred, by, by a few thousand votes, in Florida, by a few thousand votes. That's that's the path. Is he's got to basically chart the same electoral college path. He's got to he thread the time. same needle that he threaded in 2016. Uh huh. Um, and, but it's narrow. And yeah. It's, and, and and the landscape looks worse for him now because of his approval numbers. But it also depends on who the Democratic nominee is. Because if it's Joe Biden, and I think that we have this, we still have this discussion about like who's the most electable, who's going to beat Trump. You know, I, Joe Biden's the person where you say, well, that's how you win a place like Pennsylvania. Those 100,000 vo- or 10,000 voters in Pennsylvania is Joe Biden. Um, I think Trump beats Joe Biden. And I think it's you need a candidate who's you're going to run up the score in urban areas and get Democratic voters excited who weren't excited before mm-hmm. and win that way. So it really I think it, it's it's a lot on on who Democrats nominate. Yeah, I think it's about I think it's if I had to say I'd say Trump is still at about 35 or 40 percent chance to win. But I it's I, I, I struggle a little bit to articulate what his path to victory is. I agree with you, you know, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, that sort of stuff. But it's hard for me to see how he wins in Pennsylvania again, how he wins in Michigan again, for sure. Wisconsin, maybe, but he's in trouble in other states like Arizona and maybe North Carolina that he, you know, wasn't, didn't struggle as much with in, uh, right. In and we've got, in addition to that, he's, you know, his, um, yeah, he's not in terms of approval numbers, not doing well in, in Wisconsin or Michigan or Iowa for that matter. Right. Iowa is a state that I consider to be a red state and he's really not doing well there. Um, but doing well in other places like North Carolina doing, you know, fairly well on average in Florida. And I think part of that is part of his path to victory is the continue continued disenfranchisement of voters in places like the South, for example, um, that that's going to aid in, in a potential victory also. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's narrow and it's ugly, but I think it's possible. Yeah. Uh, I think we have our, our episode title right there. 
<laughs> it's narrow, ugly, and possible. Great. That's going to be... <laughs> okay. Uh, well, we're going to take a break here. We're going to do something a little bit uh, more lighthearted. Still politics related. Jovial. A little more lighthearted and fun in our... In I have our no story. idea what's going to happen. Yeah. All right, we're back, and uh, for this last segment, we're going to do something a little, a little bit more lighthearted, but politics-related. Uh, Tyler, as you may know, last week was the end of the baseball season, the end of the World Series. Yeah. And uh, Donald Trump went to one of the games and yep. was booed. He was not received well. No, it was hilarious at the game. Yeah, it was, it was, all, it was uh, great. As soon as he was on the jumbotron, heavy, heavy boos. Of course, that's Washington D.C., liberal town, and you know, okay, not too surprising. And um, but last night he went to a uh, Ultimate Fighting Championship, yeah, UFC thing, thing. yeah, a I crowd that you would uh, that I would think would be a little more sympathetic to him. Um, and it was a little more mixed. Where but was there was it? a lot of it was in Madison Square Garden, oh. uh, in New York City. Okay, uh, so a lot of booze there as well. And this so only about a third of of Madison Square Garden was probably from Staten Island that night, right? So <laughs> something like that. Okay. Yes. And I, I applaud your knowledge of Look at me New York go. City geography. Yes. Yeah. Political geography. So that got me to thinking, you know, if we were to sit down and try to rank uh, different kinds of events that Donald Trump might attend, where would he be most likely to get booed? So I have some to throw out here, and you could throw okay. out any that you want to throw out I just out want to make well. it clear that yeah. I had, the, the, this was Larry's brainchild. I had no idea what he, we were getting ourselves into. So yeah. this, I'm completely working on no information here. Okay. It's going to be good. Well, no, this is, we're really just trying to get into just, your mind, how right. you think as a political operator, where, as if you're. My you're, mind is a terrifying place. You're you're an advanced guy for I mean, the we're, Trump We're White past House, Halloween. I don't and think And you're we trying need to, to pick places where he might go, where you might put the president, Great. where he's more or less likely to get booed. Tractor pole. So I'm going <laughs> to, so that's on my list. So. All right. Well, I got more. <laughs> okay. So. You, you, know, you, can, you can take the boy out of the white trash. You can't with, take the white trash out of the boy. We're going to start with some more obvious ones okay. NBA game right I'm comparing here we've got the Major League Baseball how about NBA NHL NFL where's the president most likely to get booed or cheered oh NBA get booed at NBA cheered at the NFL really okay NFL fans are pretty conservative and I think that you're by and large right and Nate Silver had this whole like a couple months ago had this like which teams are the most and like by and large there was I think a majority of most teams fan bases were pretty not conservative but at least republican um i see the nfl especially depending on where you go like if the dude's going to a jaguars game they're going to give him a standing ovation right? really okay it's the friggin' panhandle of florida <laughs> yes uh kansas city right standing ovation in kansas city so i think by and large nfl get cheered booed in the, in the nba almost anywhere mm-hmm. there i can't even if he went to a jazz game like mm-hmm. he's probably going to get booed uh, well, you know, that's, yeah, probably a bit there. And then NHL. The NHL is interesting because you get a lot of Canadians and also a lot of white people, disproportionately white crowd. Yeah, I still think. Which you think is good for Trump, but. I think, um, yeah, I would say booed. Even if you were to go to like um, like a Florida Panthers game. I'm trying to think of like teams in the South or a, a Stars game in Dallas. Um, are you impressed with like my team knowledge How so far? How about the Winnipeg uh... Anywhere in Canada, he's Jets. getting booed, right? He's uh-huh. getting booed in Canada. Doesn't matter. You sure? Winnipeg? I mean, yeah, he's getting booed. The, it's a wild west out there. He's getting booed in Calgary. Yeah, okay. I, you know, I would say he gets booed in Edmonton. 
Mm. Right. So, (laughs) right? How impressed are you with my uh, my sports geography here? I'm very impressed. Okay, let's move beyond... uh, Well, I'll have some other sporting... I mean, truck monster truck rally, that's obviously a... Hell yeah. You ever been to one? No. I went to one as a kid in Denver. It was was awesome. Okay. Man, it was great. Eight-year-old Tyler was just like... There's this one called Gravedigger that looks like a... uh, It Did it look like a... It got a skull on it. And there's one, I forgot what it's called, but it had uh, like longhorns on it and smoke came out of the nostrils. And nice. I, it was the coolest thing ever. All right. So he gets cheered there, obviously. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Pr- pretty sure. Um, okay. I'm going to, I was interested in thinking about concerts, uh, music concerts. Okay. And then I, I put down a couple of sample bands. You could throw any. Are in, we done with sports? Are we moving no, no. on from sports? Well, uh, sort of. I'll, we'll come back to sor- okay. sports. Okay. I had a couple but, I want to throw out. Okay. But for, for right now, concerts, uh, Metallica. Oh man, uh, I'm gonna say. Uh, let me just give you the other choices I wrote down: Bruce Springsteen, Oh, U two, and Florence and the Machine. So, first of all, I'll, <laughs> what? The, say those again. This is Metallica, Bruce Springsteen, U two, and Florence and the Machine. How how is Florence and the Machine in this list? Well, I figured I'd want to give one where he's clearly gonna get booed. Did you just right? like you're like look up like hippie liberal indie band? This is what you got. <laughs> Um, well, also, kind of, you got the feminist angle there. Yeah, too. they do. I do like that lead singer's yeah. uh, dynamite. Um, so, first of all, all right, I'm 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 currently dating a Jersey girl. So, uh, mm. Bruce Springsteen is his, his his music. He's already told Trump he can't use his music, right? So, he, well, Bruce Springsteen himself would clearly not approve of Trump being there. But the question is, would the crowd at a Bruce Springsteen? I think, yeah, I think so. Born in the USA. See that what that's that's what's class, funny about that white. song is that song is not what people think it's about, right? <laughs> um, I'm gonna say booed at Bruce. At Bruce, like also Bruce Springsteen wouldn't allow it, right? right. Bruce Springsteen sure. would like lay down the law, and it, sure. He Whereas would, Metallica would be, come on in, just we got Bruce for Springsteen you up front would, here. Uh, would come in with that wrecking ball. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah. Trump's not allowed at the Meadowlands. Okay. Okay, and you too. Obviously, he'd get booed. I think. Uh, yeah, Irish for yeah. sure, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> okay, opera. Oh wait, Florence no. and the Machine booed. Yeah. Metallica. I'm. Mm, I'm gonna say that's that's definitely the most likely on that list to get cheered. But I think Metallica fans might surprise us. Ooh, interesting. Someone yeah, in the Democratic primary's got to go after that Metallica. Enter the demo, Sandman. Demo. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, Enter the Sandman, by the way, was the song that Mariano Rivera came into Yankee Stadium for every time he came in to pitch. And Mariano Rivera is a big Trump supporter. Ouch. Is he really? Very painful. Yeah. Wow. Opera. Go. Is that a serious question? <laughs> yeah. Which opera? Well, the, the thing is, opera, you'd think it's a crowd. I don't oh, know. They got a bunch of tax cuts. You're right. Yeah. They're living large. Also, not the kind of crowd that would boo, even if they feel like booing. They might, you know... Just, yeah, I'm gonna say like polite golf clap. They might just snub him, you yeah, know, rather than boo. They would. Uh, it would be like one of like they lower their opera glasses and sneer a little bit. Okay, very yeah, good. I like that. Very good. Uh, Donald Trump attends a political science conference. Booed. Although you know the um, well, booed. I don't know. Did we just in political science, we there's so many of us who like believe that we're like these like objective observers of politics exactly. and like we can't get involved. Which I'm. So first of all, like I mean, most political scientists don't care about me, right? And they can they can go GFY, you know what I'm saying? But they 
like we should absolutely be participants in the political process because we know stuff about the political process. So we should 100% boo the president because he is literally shitting on the Constitution every and day that he's in office. the various institutions of American democracy. So we should. I'm not sure that we would. And But you would is what you're oh, clearly saying. Yeah, I would be throwing— You would say boo. I'd be like throwing rotten eggs. Like I would be, I would be at the buffet table tossing whatever I can at this man. Absolutely. Hmm. Wow. Um, and also I would be at the buffet table. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but also, like there, I think there are a surprising number of academics and but political scientists, and you wouldn't think this given like sort of like education and political ideologies and whatever. Uh, political science PhDs that are Trump supporters. What percent? Are you want to ten percent, twenty percent? I go higher than that. I'd I would say ten. I would say like maybe twenty five, thirty percent. I think it's a surprising number. Hmm. Uh, his son's little league game. He's got a 13-year-old son, I believe. That kid's playing little league. I don't know, but I'm just assuming. You know, his well, son's what little, little league, league is? He, is it like baseball? But like, is it like like the the Upper East Side little the league? Elite little yeah. league. Yeah. Game. Oh. <laughs> we couldn't form a cricket team this year, could we? <laughs> uh, where is it? Is he playing? Is he playing? Is he like in Staten Island? Is no, he... no. He's living in the White House now. I think so. He's oh, is, Staten is... Island. We would not be. Well, playing so I need. Staten I need Island to know. Anyway. Like, is it like the no, upper? He... Is it like Manhattan? No, he's, he's in, in DC. Is he like? In... Is he playing out in Nassau? I like, I want to know. He's in a, enrolled in a private school in DC, so he's playing in a little league game in DC. Yeah, at his son's game. I don't think he'll get boo. It's DC though. Ah, oh, that's a tough one. I'm gonna go boo. Okay. Uh, spelling bee. He goes into a spelling bee for some reason. Uh, he gets booed, but they spell it. <laughs> they spell boo. Ex- excellent. Okay, now the last thing I had on here was monster truck rally, but you've... you've, you've yeah, you've let me throw out some more for you, pull. where he's yeah. definitely going to get applauded. Okay. Rodeos. Okay. Ranch rodeos, which are fucking amazing. I don't know Ranch rodeos are awesome. It's like two. practical rodeoing. Like, you... It's not just like bull riding and stuff. Like they, people will jump off a horse onto a cow and then wrap it up in a rope. It is amazing. <laughs> I don't understand what's practical um, about that, but <laughs> it's cause you have to. Like, that's things you do on the farm. You jump it on of cows course. all day long. Right. You don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't grow up on a farm either, but right. I whatever. I painted some farms. The um, oh, demolition derby. Okay. God, I can I talk about how much I love demolition derbies? This is mm. the white trash side of me. I love them so much. Uh-huh. I love a good demolition. And there's like strategy involved, and there's like a lot that goes into it. Getting a big ovation at a demolition derby, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, what about an MLS game? Who goes to MLS game? Oh, terrible booze. Yes, terrible booze. How about a PGA Tour event? Oh, now, uh, now, ovation. Well, so you've got... A lot of Republicans there, but it's kind of country club Republican set, isn't it? So it's kind of Mitt Romney types. There is not a richer, wider sport in the world than golf. Mm -hmm. And he is getting an ovation. Now, the only only sport I think that could rival it in terms of being rich and white is tennis. What if he was at... Mm. So what if he's at the U.S. Open? I mean, that's that's in New York. No, that's booed. That's That's in New York. Yeah. That's heavy booze. Okay. All right. All right, and I don't. I mean, the the fan base of tennis probably is generally richer and whiter than the yeah population, but yeah, I like, don't think it's like golf. Uh, I don't think it's as rich and white as golf. Yeah, Henry Thibodeau the Fourth and Mitzi are totally giving the president a standing ovation. Yeah. Any other? Uh, I I got a great. I'll throw let's, this let's one close, as the last let's close one. On this one. Okay. Uh, I'll say this just because one of my personal heroes is Earl Anthony. 
greatest bowler ever. He shows at a PBA event. Bowling. Oh, uh, cheered. Yeah, for sure. Cheered. I think he's cheered at a PBA event. Yeah, yeah bowling. These are not elite bowlers. I mean, elite. Well, so we're at both ends of the spectrum, right? We went from like white elite to like working class white. We definitely stayed in like the white wheelhouse. Man, I've, been t- I've just ragging on white people this entire episode. Yeah. We are pretty terrible. Like that, that's a good starting yeah. point. Not you and me, but all the other white people. I'm not terrible. saying all white people are terrible. <laughs> I'm just saying like if that's our starting point, yeah. like we're better off as a society if we assume that we're kind of terrible. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting, but you, do you disagree? Uh, I guess I just don't know who the people are who show up at a PBA event as opposed, I think the people who, anyone who would watch professional bowling on television are going to boo at their TV, are, are going to cheer at their TV screen, right? They're open up a Schlitz and they're cheering. But the Schlitz, people huh? who are there, they're drinking a more of a craft beer type. And I don't know, there might be more of a mixed mixed crowd showing up at the PBA event. I don't know. Wow. Let's let's stop there on that <laughs> on that piece of political science knowledge. Yeah. Um, well, we want to thank you for tuning in. We know it's been a while, but we appreciate your listens. Uh, if you enjoyed the filibuster, you should share it with a friend because that's the only way we get more listeners is if you share this. If you if you hated it, you should also share it with people you don't like and make them feel miserable, just like you, you miserable person. If you have any questions or comments, you should email us at uh, filibusterpod at gmail.com or follow us on twitter.com at uh, the filibuster. Uh, you can also follow me and Larry on Twitter as well. That's going to do it for this week. We uh, appreciate you turning in and we, tuning in and we will see you next time.